Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody, uh, it's just after 8 o'clock on Wednesday the 14th of April, this is Series 16, Episode 15 of Midweek Motorsport, I'm John Hindorf and fantastic, fantastic, beautiful day today, a bit chilly but nice and bright, not really spring in the air but there were rabbits, there were rabbits in front of uh, Kind of towers. Like uh, Easter today. bunnies. Well, they were a bit late for Easter bunnies, but maybe their calendar doesn't work the same as everybody. There's also a dead hedgehog, actually, um, which was being feasted on as a bit of carrion by a rather large black crow. But anyway, that's, you know, just couldn't be life. It's the circle of life, isn't it? Uh, that was Tim Gray, our executive producer, and on a packed programme tonight. A packed night tonight. Already had Johnny Palmer uh, with me talking about. Uh, Michelin Le Mans Cup and if you missed that you can hear it after Johnny returns after this show tonight uh, we'll be talking about the ELMS which starts this weekend and Johnny Palmer heading up uh, the RSL commentary team for both TV and radio Johnny Cook joined by Graham Goodwin uh, for the commentary and that all starts on Saturday on RS1 and in Sound and Vision at www. The, uh, Come on, remember the website. www.radio-show.co.uk Couldn't you do this again? No, it's fine. Everybody knows where we are now. So... Anyway, so that's all to come this evening. But before that, two hours of fun and frolics. Yes. Tim. Johnny Palmer and me have got something in common, you know. Which is what? We both had a haircut on Monday. Ah, really? First time in four months. Or more, five months nearly. And? Well, that's all we have in common as far as I'm aware. Okay. We we have so, nothing. In, we we have nothing in common with uh, Martin Haven, as you disclosed earlier. No. Well, we will leave that to one side. Or um, well, both sides, apparently. Indeed. Uh, on a pack program tonight. We have all the usual features. We'll be joined by our regular contributors, Nick Damon and Shay Adam. Uh, we have the VCO. Uh, Victory Lane. Victory Lane. The Victory <laughs> Circle. <laughs> Victory Circle, Victory Lane, whatever you want, yeah. Uh, we have uh, some news in Spanish, I think. We might have time for competition, a game show, I mean. Um, really? We'll Excellent. see about that, yeah. 
Uh-huh. Carry on. Okay. Was that it? That was as much. All right. Uh, and we'll be t- telling you what's going on tomorrow night at some stage as well. Uh, at Speculatement, please, as many of you have already done the Sim Racing Bar Steward listening live tonight while taking the new Lotus 79 wa- round the Osterreich ring uh, in 1974 via Automobilista 2. Rumour has it they'll have a BT46B in the pipeline. Note to edit this, the car was not banned. So there. Uh, so, welcome uh, to all who are tuned in. Dave Oldcock, Pat Wednesday evening, joining you. Hope everyone keeping well. Yes, we are. Uh, hello to Matt, Hawkey Hawkins, to Right Turn Lover, uh, enjoying a quiet evening with a female relative. Absolutely the right thing, RTL, as ever. Uh, you're listening on the podcast. Wish you and said female relative all the very best. Uh, Brody, bit busy, but he's in, definitely in. Uh, Otter, uh, FR, uh, is on the webcast tonight. Excellent. Uh, uh, Oliver Giles, homemade Chinese dinner, listening to lights show. Excellent, homemade, very good. Marshall Dirk, uh, doing another stint on a set or course of competition for the 24 Hours of Spa, catching up with podcasts and all the content before the weekend. Uh, and already answered your question about Blackpool, Johnny. He is the voice of MLFC, uh, the ELMS, and of course the WEC. Always has been. And by the way, Phil, sound and vision. Yes, we've always had sound and vision for ELMS and LF- MLMC. <laughs> including qualifying. Been, including qualifying. Which a lot of yeah, people don't have. Saturday. Yeah. So I mean, for the MLMC, for it finishes on Saturday it? too, John. And Saturday, yeah, absolutely, one day event. Um, and that is all available from Saturday, as I said, on this website. Uh, hello to Patrick Drone. Uh, hello to Kevin Payne. Uh, listening live with uh, everything crossed about the announcement of coverage. Yes, yes. Did we not announce it's it last all, week? And it, and it's, mm, I can't remember, actually. But um, it is all, the schedule's all on the uh, website at the bottom of radio-show.co.uk. Blue Fiends tuning in live, programming some Taycans, Taycans, during the show. Any more developments, dramas with P2 power reductions? Uh, Listening to Johnny talking about that, um, that will, I'm sure, be part of the ELMS preview at 10 o'clock tonight. Elliot Lindemood listening live. From Catalonia, left coast is the best coast. Um, hello to Carol Brink, Central Coast and the in- Inland Empire listening in today. Uh, Sir Phil says, I- I've just realised the time you're on tape delay due to dog walk with no mobile data plan. See you in about an hour. Podcast tomorrow for Daniel Summerskill. Uh, David Two Bruce in the house, marked present. Uh, listening live, Paul Markart, putting it off for the last few weeks. Been listening to the 2008 uh, Le Mans 24 hours. Okay, excellent. No airfares for Dave, working on the 2002 in the garage whilst tuned in tonight. It's looking good. Looking very nice indeed. Love the strut brace and the alloys. Uh, absolutely brilliant. That looks fab, Dave. Um, 
got to know. Got to get some pictures when that's uh, all done and moving out. Chocolate sponge pudding and caramel ice cream was the prelude for Doug Amner this evening. He's listening live, right. as is Rob Chalmers. Oh, I might, might have to uh, go and make one myself. Yes. Uh, Rob Chalmers, EFAs, catching up. Uh, lots of training on foot and bike. Incoming takeaway. High risk of food coma. Okay. Uh, Alan Prosser uh, also had his haircut uh, on Monday. Enough to stuff a pillow, as my dad would say. And Sarah Rigby's in tonight. Looking forward to the patch show and the ELMS preview. Obviously, she'll be cheering on Ross Gunn and TF Sport. Motor Racing UK listening live while writing up a case study delivered on Friday. The software didn't understand our accent, so I have to transcribe the whole interview. <laughs> oh dear. That's a shame. I'm sure I could right, find carefully. some software that would uh, understand the accent, but it's more expensive, I suspect. Absolutely. Uh, keep the, uh, your questions, comments, points arising, whatever else. Um, by the way, this weekend we also have Bruce Jones, Peter Snowden on NLS Race 2, which is actually going to be the opener. Um, weather forecast, pretty good, but let's... Shh. I mean, the weather forecast was pretty good last time. Yeah, but it's even better this weekend. A bit of high pressure hovering over Europe at the moment, which I think should be all right. But I, I don't want to don't jinx it. And we've also got 24 hours of spa for the VCO World Tour as well, which uh, Nick Damon will be... Uh, working on for us that this weekend? No. Uh, yes. No, that's not this weekend. Sorry, I've got my dates weekend. Weekend. So it's Snowy and Bruce Jones on NLS. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. And your top story is what? Uh, well, I need to introduce Nick Damon now. Good evening, Nick. Good evening. Good evening, John. Good evening, everybody. And it's uh, it's Nurburgring next weekend, John Pavisio. Thank you. <laughs> Spa's much later in the year. Uh, and I also need to uh, introduce... Uh, no, I don't. I need to say that the reason we've introduced Nick Damon is uh, because we're going to be starting with Formula One. Hooray! <laughs> that was the first time we got that right in Did- weeks. Do, do I detect a bit more echo around you, Nick, as if, I don't know, oh. all the kitchen had been pulled out? Well, yes, I, I am surrounded by a microwave, a toaster, a kettle, um, all sorts of, well, I can see pickled onions, I can see vegetable and olive oil, salt, um, but yeah, basically my study is now is now half the kitchen, uh, with the other bit of the kitchen in the garage, but oddly there's not a car in the garage, John, why would that be? Um, and <laughs> The elbow's much better, like thanks. Uh, and we'll leave that there because people just don't need to know about our (laughs) yes I I was listening to your conversation prior to going on air where you and Tim were discussing all the marvellous things you were doing and cooking and everything else I was sitting there going alright showing off with your kitchens you don't don't realise showing off with your kitchens were we John was saying his was flooded yeah not anymore. Not, not you anymore. You said you're going to pop out and make something special in yours. Yeah. Anyway, shall we drag ourselves back to Formula Why One? Why not? Yeah. Yay, there's only, know, there's only know, one Formula yeah. One story we can start with, isn't there, Nick? What, there's actually a race this week. I knew it. Hello, Shay. Hello. Oh, I just got to that theatre in time. <laughs> <laughs> On your toes, John, on your toes. I know, I was. I was. I'm standing up, don't worry. 
it's it's going to happen, they say, Tim. Is this right? What's the, what's the story? Well, certainly the uh, plans for bringing the Grand Prix to the streets of Miami in the future have received a major boost after last Thursday... Uh, the Miami Gardens Mayor Rodney Harris, who previously pro- opposed the project, uh, decided to throw his weight behind it. Now, Shay Adam, just so that you could proper, properly comment on this story, you uh, have flown down to uh, that part of the world and flew over Miami today just to check out the proposed site of the Miami Grand, F1 Grand Prix. And what... what what struck you when you when you flew over it? Well, as a proper Florida girl who now has a Utah driver's license and, you know, no longer resides in Florida, I, I had to come back to the home turf just to make sure that I wasn't misremembering things. The stadium is still a very, very long way away from the ocean and a very long way away from downtown Miami. So the glitz and glamour that Will Smith was rapping about in that song does not exist in Miami Gardens. I can confirm that is still true. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It it is, Nick, an avowed uh, intent, desire perhaps would be a better word, for liberty. I think intent is a good word. Do you think intent is a good yeah. word? All right. For for Liberty to get a second US race, uh, and they, they really want it. Yeah, and they, and they want, of course, to do the the, uh, the city centre thing, even if the centre of the city isn't actually anywhere near where the track is. Um, you know, it, it is the London Luton of tracks, isn't it, really? Nowhere near where it is. It is. But, you know, they had a bit of a, bit of a problem because they, they, they pushed Miami like it was going to happen and then got scuppered by those damn NIMBYs. Uh, they pushed... Vietnam is a great uh, racetrack in a, in a city, and that got scuffed by by embezzlement. Um, and they've only, all they've got out of it so far as a street track is is Saudi Arabia, which has other issues uh, around it. So, yeah, the, the whole plan's not going brilliantly, and it's quite ironic, really. We're off to um, Imola, one of the traditional circuits that were abandoned many years ago by F1 due to circuits this weekend. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I'm not quite sure about this desire uh, for city circuits. I can see the desire to get a second United States race in, but is that because it's got the fan attraction to it? I mean, it's not, you know, like Austin does okay and, and so does Mexico City, but they're not like, you know, bulging at the seams. And you stick well, on, is there any reason why you think you get a massive crowd? Well, sheer, sheer, sports teams and Miami. Um, yeah. Tell, tell me about the success or lack thereof in drawing crowds. Uh, total lack thereof in drawing crowds. As a matter of fact, Miami in and of itself is home to four major league sports teams, potentially five if you include the major league soccer team that David Beckham is trying to bring into the this city and trying to make that a big deal as well. But you can go buy Miami Dolphins tickets day of the game for less than $100 and be in a very good seat. You can go buy Florida Panthers, which is hockey, uh, ice hockey, for those of you out there uh, who say Thank it you. that way. Thank you. Um, you can go buy box seats for 20 bucks to go see the Panthers. If you want to go see the Miami Marlins, you can go anytime you want, roof open or closed. Probably about $40 for decent tickets. Um, and the Miami Heat, they're the most sought-after tickets by far because they've had the most success most recently. Um, but again, those tickets, they're not impossible to get. And it's not as if we have rapidly passionate fans in Miami. And, and I say this as a Miami person, um, there's a lot of bandwagoning that goes on in this city. The first time that you're going to hold a Grand Prix, it might draw a crowd, not a great crowd, but a crowd because people are interested in something different. 
the second time you hold the race, nobody's going to go. Nobody's going to be interested. It, it's tragic, really. Tim, what sort of crowns does Homestead get? Homestead for Formula One? No, for IndyCar and NASCAR. Oh, for NASCAR. Um, Homestead gets, I would say, about three-quarter capacity. But of that, in terms of local, it's almost nobody. And the reason that it used to draw a crowd, and I say used to, was because it was the finale. So you had people from... Yeah, people coming in from all over the state uh, for the final race. And it also helped that the first race of the season was beginning of February. And then in Florida... And the last race was in middle of November in Florida. Mm. So you had people at both ends of the spectrum. Their April race, they haven't been able to hold completely open because of COVID. When they do hold that, I do not expect the ticket sales to be off the charts. What's the the road circuit like at at Homestead now? Because they did a few years ago flatten out the circuit to make it a a multi-groove track didn't they? they 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 changed the oval part of it a bit you've driven the road circuit many times for yeah for various charity events um is it is it f1 worthy no um i think it is grade three if memory serves right. uh off the top of my head um there was some discussion about a year and a half ago to alter part of the course to try and make it a more f one able circuit to, to try and shift it a little bit. Um, but ultimately, it was decided that the cost would be too high. And also, people going to F1 races don't really want to go to Homestead. But on the flip side of things, you've got series like Ferrari Challenge now looking yeah. at not being able to go to Montreal. So instead, shifting their focus to Homestead. and. The drivers are not particularly thrilled about that, John, to be perfectly honest, because they don't love Homestead as a a circuit. It's very difficult and it's very technical. So it does challenge drivers more so than some of the other tracks on the schedule. Um, Elliot Lindemood says, I remember he's tweeted that spec entertainment. Um, I remember Champ Car doing race at Miami in 02 or 03, but that was on the Oval, of course. Mm. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, at Homestead, yes, or was there a there was a street race? Was there a street race in Miami? Uh, not for Champ Car. They did run on the the. Oval. All right. So, what were the crowds like for that? I was about six years old. I don't know. Oh, hang on. No, no. We did. We did um, uh, an LMS race. In, we did in Miami. Um, that was a oh, show yeah, on, on, on the street uh, yeah. with with Champ Car. Um, it was all right. I it was uh, it was uh, Ellie that yeah um, th- there was a a prototype race on Bayshore Drive as well that was a Miami mm-hmm. Grand Prix but that was that was going back to late eighties oh Nick uh, that's how my parents met really yeah mom was assigned to interview dad when he came to town for the Miami Grand Prix and instead she handed it off to another one of her friends because she didn't want to be bothered <laughs> and look how that one worked out exactly. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I, I remember being there for that. The crowds were all right for the street race um, with the LMS. So, uh, Dave Alcock says, if Miami F1 track is away from the glamour of city centre and South Beach, um, you might as well uh, switch from Miami and go to the much grittier Miami Vice theme. Okay. Possibly. Yeah. I, yeah. I think if we're uh, talking about sending F1 to a grade three circuit, uh, then I'd much rather it went to Alton Park. Oh. Well, it's listen. It's not really in America, though, is it? In yeah, I mean, it's not, but if. Uh, if uh, 
I mean, it's it not in Miami, and nor is uh, Miami Gardens. So, well, I just go up the road and and relive history. Just go to Sebring. Oh, F1 cars yes. couldn't take Sebring. They'd have to resurface it. That would upset everybody. No, they can't resurface it. So no, they, it's not. You it's can resurface it. No, you can't. You can resurface it. They don't want to resurface it's a national it. National monument. You can't. Yeah. It's not got a great, great one away of the American listed surface. Well, I, I think it probably has. The anyway, only, I let's... think. I, anyway, I think that I, I think the place that is still most likely, and Shay already knows what I'm going to say because we've talked about this before, and we've talked about it with people from the track when we've been there. Seems like a million years ago, and that's Road America. And there was talk of redevelopment at Road America to build a European-style pit complex and to change the paddock a little bit and to do a wee bit of work on the the track, uh, the environs of the track more than anything else, mm. to bring it up to FIA Grade One. Start. Hey, they they're going. They go to. They went to Mugello last year, and they're going to. Monza this weekend. Not They're Monza. going to Imola um, this weekend. I mean, uh, Imola is another one where uh, Nick mentioned Imola, and the circuit is actually quite a long way out of the town, isn't it? It is. No, it's right in the middle of the town. It really isn't. You, you, you go, go to, um, you go to it, Imola, Imola by. The actual, if you go to Imola by train, town. the train station's oh, at the north no end of the town. The no, train station is at the north it. end of the town. You have to walk all the way through the town of Imola. Mm. Outside of the city walls, they're not city walls, it's You're not a city, to, it's to, it's to the, the south, across yeah. the river, and, the main and there's river, a circuit. Is, yeah. And there's people around the back who hang their washing out. It's great. Yeah. I do like it. It has that shabby chic that the Ita- only the Italians can do like that. The mm-hmm. French are not too far behind, but... It, it is just fantastic. Yeah, the French fantastic. tend to shut down circuits when they get like that, though. Yeah, I'm saying Montellery. That's where uh, F1 needs to go to if you're going to go. Let's have circuits from the past that F1, in a brave new world, and given that they're happy to go to such dangerous places as Mugello and Imola, um, circuits that F1 could, should, and undoubtedly won't go to. Trois Rivières. Oh yes. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think I think no no. no. You do it random circuit. This is a place they they should go back to. Mosport. Yeah. Mosport. Mosport. Yeah. Ruin. CTMP. Ruin is starts. That's quite a good idea. Dijon. And, except you know. it doesn't exist in its original form anymore. The original spa. <laughs> also doesn't exist in its original form. Just roads tacked on the back. It's fine. We're all there still. Anyway, moving on. Next story, please. I haven't finished this one yet. So, all what's right. made uh, Mayor Rodney Harris change his mind? Money. Money My is money. the answer. Yes. Uh, Five million dollars <laughs> for local residents, businesses, and restaurants, plus an internship program for local youths. What in F one or in? Or in property management in Miami. Who knows? Uh, the plan also includes the erection of noise mitigation barriers at uh, parts of the track, air quality monitoring, um, and tonight the city council is set to vote. Right. Yeah. No one holding their breath here. Uh, Are you going to a council meeting tonight, Shay? That's why she's there. No, I'm. I'm going to Canyon. <laughs> Shut. No, no, we're sending you. We've we've tasked you now to go On to assignment, the council. Shay Adam. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, say hello to the folks at Canyon. 
won't you? I, will. My I, be, I, don't, I, I think it's interesting they've written this PR rubbish of noise cancellation. The modern the modern turbo engines aren't that noisy, and you know you go a couple hundred meters where you can't hear them. And what emissions they think are going to be produced by twenty cars? That's not the same. If you have any sort of a road or sort of whatever you call a roads in America, sort of minor linky road with trucks running down, it'd be a thousand times more emissions instantaneously. I it's would suggest like that over soft. the course of a Grand Prix weekend, the amount of emissions uh, when the Formula One is in town will be less than in the same bit of tarmac or on any other weekend. Absolutely. Yeah. And and Nick, the stadium is surrounded by not one but two major highways. Yep. Correct. Uh, L.A. Filippone says you could go back the only other grade one uh, U.S. circuit, Indy. They bypass oh. Oval Turn 1 now, and you could throw in the only 180 loop. Watkins Glen, Kevin Payne, has uh, suggested. Aintree, a number of people have said Aintree. Matthew Hindman and Nick. Uh, slightly narrow, says Matthew, but so was Mugello, true enough. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Love to see F1 cars at Sebring, but they would be shaken to pieces over the bumps. Says Dave Alcock. Brands Hatch, Le Mans, Norge Leifer, Alexander Orkin. Uh, yes. Yes to, to all of those, but no. Well, I did say, it, you know, it, it it almost certainly won't. All right, we'll move on. Uh, too much to talk about. We've talked about this more than the council will tonight. Um, I, I feel. <laughs> it, depends, it depends how that five million's been given out, doesn't it? Some of the councils might be getting a couple of hundred grand into their, their wards or whatever they have constituencies. And they're like, oh, well, fair enough, go for that then. Alan Prosser adds in uh, places that they should but won't ever go to. Shah Alam, Eastern Creek, Phillip Island and the circuit where the Rio Olympics went. <laughs> mm. Jarapaguea. Jarapaguea. Yeah, that yeah. one. Eastern Creek's not that great. There's no elevation change. If you're going to Australia, there are. I like Alton Park. I've got to be honest. I think Alton Park's fantastic. Anyway, moving on. Uh, who's been. Uh, I was going to say fighting, but no. Who's been uh, remembering fighting? What? In Formula One, is this? Are we still in Formula yes. One? Yes. Who's been remembering fighting? Yes. Well, as in remembering. Reminiscing. Who's, so who's. Reminiscing about. A- Who's been talking about uh, bar brawl he got into when he was a Formula One driver? Oh, when he was a Formula One driver? Uh, I, well, obviously, yeah. there's, there's certain people we love to know about bar brawls they got into when they were Formula One drivers, but that's mm. a story that, that seems to be uh, shut forever, hasn't it, Mr. Sutil? Anyway, um, did I C- tell Kimi me? Kimi Raikkonen? I can't imagine him fighting. No, nice lot. Another, not a fighter. All right. He's still a Formula Hooven? One driver. Oh, yes, you said former Formula One. So if it isn't Adrian Sutil, who is it? Alex Albon. Huh. Alex Albon got in a fight? What we? The paper bag? Most aggressive thing he did whilst he was in Formula One, if only he'd shown that, that kind of... Why do they keep hitting me in this fight? Stop it. Well, I like Alex. What's the story? Reading. His radio was awful. What's the story, Tim? Uh, so... He went to a Red Bull party after a race, and there was a Ferrari fan there. Um, right. Or at least he assumes he was a Ferrari fan because he was wearing a Ferrari cap. He's on this after last year's performance. He could be a Red Bull fan, couldn't he? True. He, he <laughs> said he was a Sebastian Vettel fan. Yeah. Um, and apparently Alex was uh, sitting at his table. Oh. Um, right. Did he spill his pint as well? Uh, while he was he uh, waiting. He looked at his pint. 
waiting for his drink at the bar. Sorry, um, to, he and, looked at uh, his paintball. This, this guy tried to start a fight with Alex. So, mm. moving on. It's not much of a story, that really, is it? Uh, Formula One's off to Imola this weekend, Nick. Yes, the brave new world. Mm. It's all open. Um, yeah, and I and I wanted to repeat my my prediction from two weeks ago that three weeks ago that was wrong. I think Max Verstappen's going to win. Hamilton. And when you said it's all open, do you mean they've got fans? No. Oh, okay. Oh, you mean it's the, the it's the greatest season ever in the history yeah. of ever. TM. It might be. It might be. It was a very good opening race. I mean, obviously not being Australia helped. Um, and yeah, there's a, there's a good chance, you know. Um, Max obviously has, is, is apparently sitting on this terrible thing. Oh, he must be. After having problems in three Italian races last year, they've decided there's an Italian jinx that must be, uh, you know, removed. It's like, Honestly, that is what you, I, mean, I have to be honest. This last week, when they've fight, when they've run out of things to write, has been turgid. They are digging up the most ridiculous stuff, and they're thinking, "Oh, and now we." Yeah. Anyway, I think Max is going to win. I think Red Bull it's, could come even get one too. Perez gets his uh, act together. I think uh, Mercedes have are on the back foot. Doesn't mean they'll stay on the back foot, but I think they are on the back foot. You can play some good shots off the back foot, mate. It's a nice little cheeky lead yeah. cut down to uh, yeah, down to third true. man, or you can you know hook it over the top for a six over cow corner. Um, mm. Just make sure uh, you protect your out because we're not allowed yeah. to call them wickets anymore, apparently in the oh, brave new that. world. But let's move on from that. I need to get crazy on about that. Uh, okay, so uh, Imola this weekend. Am I right, Tim, in seeing that there are no, there's no single seat of support races? F two or F three aren't there? I don't know. I haven't seen uh, the no, uh, full time table. It's supposed to be Imola. It's supposed to be. It was supposed to be China, China wasn't it? of course. Ah. Isn't it? This is this it is the Chinese supposed, Grand Prix, right? Ah, and, and then we, and then we got the Vietnamese port of Grand Prix, which is in Portimao. Exactly. Circuit of um, Yeah. So, yes, obviously the other, the other news, of course, they moved the time of qualifying um, to avoid clashing with uh, Prince Philip's funeral. Um, and subsequently, that, what else have they moved, Nick? I don't know. I haven't read that bit. You can tell me. They've had to move free practice. Oh, yeah. They, they, well, yes, cause when you should, there's an X amount of time between... Uh, free practice three and qualifying, so they had to move it all back an hour. They couldn't, you can't move one one part back an hour without moving the other part back an hour. But as you say, because there's no sport, no uh, official sport race, it's not a major issue. They've also had to adjust Friday's timetable because you have to allow yeah, 19 hours that. between FP2 and FP3. Yeah, it's it, it all links together. But of course, they've got they've both got, they've got two hours of running. Um, do we know there's anything running support wise, like some Italian series? I'll have it's a look opportun- and see. It's the opportunity for somebody to jump in and, and do something, isn't it? You know, like um, at Portimao last year when the uh, new prototype series that James Burley was telling us about got on that and had a huge uh, weekend for them. Really good. I, I think it's a, a really good opportunity for somebody. But they might ju- As there's no fans there, there's no imperative to entertain people when F1 isn't on the track. Well, no, that is true. So, um, I, I, I have no idea what the fan situation in Portimao is going to be. Obviously, Portugal not in as bad a condition as Italy, so perhaps all your fans there. There is a support race. What is it? Oh, go on. It's the FIA Formula Regional by Alpine. Of course oh, it must, is. Oh, you must be dying to get that. You, you'll be searching around your satellite, won't you, for a feed of that? Uh, I think my satellite's in use for doing European Le Mans series all weekend, unfortunately. Oh. 
Uh, the first race is on Saturday. That's at five twenty, and the second race is at twelve fifteen on Sunday. Moving on. What are we? Where are we going next? Who's the best uh, team manager in Formula One, according to Zach Brown? Uh, well, let's say uh, he's, he's he's saying what he, it's, it's, it's a bit like saying you know he's saying Andrea Seidel, but it's a bit yes. like you know Brian Epstein being asked who's better out of the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. You know, he's not going to say the Rolling Stones regardless, is he? It's like that's a this is an example of the vacuous rubbish you get in the third week of a gap because we all know that Andrea Seidel isn't the best team principal in F1, not yet. He may become the best team principal, in F1, but he's certainly not at the moment the best team principal in F1. Is Toto Wolf, and, the, and I, I, the reason you can tell that is because he's won seven world championships in a row. Kind of indicative of team principalness. So Zach, you know, has decided to say something. He said Zach said a lot of things, which has managed to uh, keep the uh, the pages of the clickbait going, uh, uh, which makes no sense. He's otherwise his famous his recent one has been he's saying that William um, sorry, Mercedes are going to have Max Verstappen and George Russell next year, um, despite the fact that they don't actually know if, if if Lewis is retiring and Max Verstappen can only, can only get out of Red Bull if the Red Bull isn't performing. Oh, look, it's performing. So, you know. Nick, would you be happier to call Andreas Seidel um, the uh, if, sort of the manager of the month, if you will, the most improved, the, the manager who's most, the team manager who's most improved a team? Because he has made a difference to McLaren uh, and, He's a very clever lad. I, I'm very interested to see, and I'm sure Tim has this story, um, what Jost Capital can do at Williams, and he's surrounding himself with some of his his old colleagues to do it. But but Seidel has done a good job. I, I hear no, what I'm you're saying a, about the fatuousness of, of of that story, and not even necessarily what Zach said. But he has done a good job. No, no I think the, the point about it is coming up from the, the deer they're in, uh, you know, the, the bounce on the bottom of the, the bad decisions made by, unfortunately, I have to say, bad decisions made by Ron and Martin at the beginning of the Honda relationship and they, uh, the, the huge turmoil. But of course, don't forget other people apart from Seidel's come in, James Key's come in, they've, they've, they've changed the whole manager structure. But yeah, they, they, they've produced a remarkable turnaround and obviously have a very, very effective management structure, which is evidenced by the fact on two facts. One, that they managed to incorporate the Mercedes engine with virtually, well, negative loss um, from the Renault with, with the very limited ability to change any other part of the car, which is very impressive. And secondly, that they managed to breed the rules better than anyone else and uh, get this little diffuser advantage for a few races. So I think you can't really knock them at all. I think McLaren are absolutely on the upswing. Um, but... That's a team effort, Seidel leading it very, very well. And I think, yeah, he, he could, you know, in five years' time, we might go, yeah, Zach was right back in 2021. And, uh, and of course, he's not right now because we know who the best team principal in F1 is. Well, I, I do like your use while describing the situation there uh, of a fantastic bit of run speak. N- negative loss. So, gain <laughs> then. That would be a gain, is it? Well, you know. Very good. You know how much affection I you know how much affection I hold Rod in. So it's uh, I'm, I'm on, I think I'm probably the few people left who think I really like Rod. I, I have I, no idea. Have you me. seen the documentary? No, I need to get to see it. It's good. It. Very, very good. But things very, get good. as often happens. People stay in places too long. Ron was there too long. Brian Clough was at Nottingham Forest too long. But it doesn't take away what they achieve when they're in their pomp. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It is Series 14, Episode 15. 
and it's the 14th of April. Cher Adam and Nick Damon are with Tim Gray, our executive producer, who's up in London. We're all spread to the four winds, of course. I'm John Hindorf. And on at Specutainment, uh, Stephen Gardner uh, is uh, looking forward to the podcast later on. Um, 3 p.m. Eastern start, a bit challenging because he's at work. Uh, now, uh, where would you like to go? More ne- dedication. Ah, well, it's true. It's true. People actually getting back to work as well, so not able to be sneaking oh, yeah. in while <laughs> WFHing. Uh, where would you like to go next, Tim? Uh, we'll switch to two wheels. Oh, good. Uh, which also involves Nick, uh, because the big story is that Paul Espargaro arrives in Portugal after two informative weekends in Qatar, where he showed incredible pace aboard the Repsol mm. Honda RC213V. Yes. And this is his first opportunity mm. to try the Honda as a circuit other than Lazai International Circuit. After putting together a strong Portuguese race in 2020, he's looking forward to growing his understanding of the bike. He said, We left Qatar with good information, but without the results we were looking for. Portugal gives me a chance to start to understand the Honda more, because it'll be the first time not riding it in Las Isles. It's a fun and very physical circuit to ride, so I'm excited to try the RC213V in Portugal. We need to continue to improve our performance and show the potential of the Honda. Of course, I'm also very excited to have Mark back in the team. <laughs> yeah, well, I wonder when we're going to get the elephant in the room. Uh, yes, that's not. Yes, the the Honda story is not obviously what Paul Spargo is or isn't doing um, after two disappointing results, but not necessarily disappointing performances. Because given how close all the bikes were in Qatar, you know, even though Paul was down in tenth and fourteenth or twenty, he wasn't actually that many seconds off. Uh, the big news for the weekend at Portimao is the return of Mark Marquez after. Over a season off, but not a year off, given the fact that his last year started a bit late. He obviously has been missing from uh, the second race of last season. He's coming back on the third race of this season. And we all want to know what he can achieve. Now, there is one extra disadvantage he has, Tim. And that, of course, is that if the rest of the, uh, the paddock went to Portimao a few months ago. And Portimao not, was, up until last year, not on the regular MotoGP circuit. So he'll be going there for the first time in anger. I'm sure he's tested there. So an extra challenge for Mark. Uh, and we all just want to see how well, he, how well he is, how quick he is, how fast he can go, how long he can keep it up in um, uh, in race terms. I mean, he's not injured now. So that fading you get when when uh, bikers are riding injured may may disappear. But maybe, yeah, there's still a physicality there. We must have seen some pictures of him working out. He's looking pretty uh, solid, pretty mildly. So, yeah, it's going to be really, really to see where he comes back. And if he comes back at a certain level then he's probably going to be world champion. Uh, but he's returning to a bike that has looked dreadful since he fell off it in Jerez last year. No one's done much with it. Is it just because he's the only person who can ride that bike, or is it because it's gone backwards in development compared to everyone else because he's not been riding that bike? Uh, you mentioned that Portimao was uh, on the circuit for the first time last year. Uh, who was last year's winner? Miguel Oliveira, wasn't it? Yes. And who was last year's pole sitter? Uh, I should know this, shouldn't I? You should. Uh, I, I'm, no, was, it, was it another KTM? It was the same KTM. Oh, it was Paul Grover was doing the both in his home country, okay. And who holds the lap record on a MotoGP bike around... Uh, I'll go for Miguel Oliveira at this point now. That would also be correct, a 139.855. That's 139.855. Now, interestingly, of course, Frankie Morbidelli went very well there as well last year. And neither Morbidelli nor Midwell have had a, had a particularly good opening to the season. So, uh, Four it's points all to play for. 
Hmm. No, it's, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I think that I... I can't, do you think he'll... I think, I think Mark will win races this year. I don't think he'll be world champion. And I don't think he'll win this weekend. But, no, but, this weekend. but, but I tell you what, I wouldn't be surprised if he did either. Um, yes, that is a very good point. <laughs> I know exactly what you're saying. There's a lot of people uh, who've been the... a lot of people have been saying that uh, this is going to make MotoGP exciting again. It didn't lack excitement in <laughs> either of the races in Qatar, did it? It's lacked the focus. I think there's no there's been since with with Rossi on a uh, fair enough. He's 42 or 43, over an aged fade, and without Mark Marquez and without Lorenzo. It's lacked a focal point, and, that, and so you've been kind of like a bit. Oh, a squirrel! It's Zarco. Oh, a squirrel! It's, it's more, you know, it's it's uh, more Oh, a squirrel! It's it's Danny Petrucci. There's no kind of focus to the weekend or focus to the driver. Which you, you think about, you know, most motorsport they have a focus, be it a manufacturer, be it a driver. I think it's one of the issues actually with Formula E that the, it's so random. It, it it's difficult sometimes to follow what's going on in a championship or build something up when everyone when everyone's doing averagely well. You can't really work out how what, where you're following what the, and what the competition is, uh, and I think the same thing. I think that was one of the problems with MotoGP last year. That was everyone's been left, right, and centre. You never really got the story. Never developed. It was a scattergun for an entire season. I, 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 I don't take this the wrong way, Nick, Shea, Tim, anybody. I would have liked to have seen this season, this season play out without. Mark Marquez and that's not because I have any issue with Mark Marquez I agree with you last year I think this year uh, with people with a different mindset having not had the Marquez effect for pretty much all of last season I think there was a different attitude coming into this year and I we've said it before if you take Mark Marquez out of the last seven seasons look how close it would have been behind him now does that in itself give excitement or is it just as you say that there isn't somebody who dominates there isn't someone who can get the consistency I, I, I don't know I'm, I, I think it's great in some ways that he's back I hope he's alright I hope he's he's fit um, I suppose we'll find out sometime over the weekend and it, it may not be until halfway through the race that we find out actually so yep um just a couple of tweets coming in uh, on Formula One. Um, I'd rather not lose Sebring's defining characteristics, says Sean. Similar thing uh, as well from Mickey Heth saying, Road America would be great, but surely it would never happen. They'd have to destroy the natural beauty of the circuit to add paved runoff areas. They'd also have to spend a ton of dollars building garages in the paddock. They were talking about doing that, Mickey, to be fair. that There is a plan, and she and I have talk to people there about it and it was a it wasn't completely formed as the CTMP um, makeover was but th- there was a, a pretty well uh, thought out plan for putting garages and um, hospitality etc in the pit lane share and and moving keeping the old building as much more of a press center and, and things like that yeah, definitely was taken into consideration. Um, is it a little bit too late maybe to do that? Mm. Mm, it would take a lot of money at this point, but something dramatic to get a bunch of fans back? Yeah, could happen, could work. Tim? 
I'd put the uh, build a new F1 style pit lane opposite the existing pit lane. Ooh. Yeah, there's room. There's yeah. room for that. There is room for that. Yeah, for also, sure. just, cool. just on the on the original tweet or the original message, you don't have to have tarmac runoff. No. It just got very trendy after a while. If you actually look at it, a number of circuits are removing tarmac runoff. Including or Spa. reducing it. Spa and are, including Silverstone. Yeah, Spa are put, going to put some gravel back in again. And it, uh, they've mm. got the, the um, endurance uh, bikes around there, haven't they? And they, they got, They're going to have... They're bidding for Motor GP in a couple of years, yes. aren't they? Yeah, they're trying the endurance bikes, uh, bikes first. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think. I mean, I think the, the, there's obviously have to be a lot of work done at Canada Corner, but I think the rest of the circuit's got more than enough runoff to be easily worked with. Um, it's no listen. It's no worse uh, than well, I don't know Monaco, but no, uh, Monaco, you're only doing 80 miles now when you hit a barrier. Uh, you're going quite fast at Red America true. down the hill. Uh, <laughs> uh, the the responsible adult says, uh, let's be honest, um, they moaned about quarter, <laughs> about <laughs> bumps at quarter. <laughs> they caused some of the bumps at quarter. Well, let's be honest, they're going back there, what, after two years off, theoretically. It's going to be way worse because it's going to have carried on settling, won't it? Uh, yeah, <laughs> they've done some resurfacing well, and more grinding, though, Shea, haven't they? You, have you been there recently? Uh, no, I have not, but I have been talking to somebody who was there uh, recently and he's going back there again this weekend. And he said that it was actually not that bumpy. And then I pointed out that the last track he'd been on was Sebring, so everything would feel smooth. And he went, oh, yeah, good point. The thing that would change, and this, and Kevin has tweeted in for this, Kev Paul. Hello, Kevin. Um, I think that what would change fundamentally, uh, not all of Road America, but quite a lot of it, is is catch fencing. Because there's there's some fabulous places where you can stand up above the track and look down, and there there is catch fencing in some places, but there's an awful lot where your sight lines are phenomenal. There's not enough grandstands either at Road America, um, but I mean all of those things can be can be fixed. Let's be honest. I think there's only twenty five, twenty six thousand seats around Bahrain, and they can't um, they can't fill them. Um, Johnny Karate. Brilliant. Uh, not nearly enough hotel rooms in the surrounding area to accommodate influx of fans, in my opinion. The NASCAR race over July 4th weekend this year will be a real test uh, mm. for that area. Well, we often go up as far as, uh, out as far as Sheboygan, or um, where do we stay when we've been up there, up north, Shea? Uh, Manitowoc. Manitowoc, thank you. Mm. So, anyway, moving on. Uh, before we do, it's not the barriers you want to avoid hitting at uh, Road America, it's the deer. Well, that is very that true. That too. Mm, that's true. Well, let's be honest, there are many, many tracks around the world where you can, you, the uh, avoidance of animals is a key thing, be it groundhogs or hares or even snakes. 15 years since that accident. Um, just mm. a, a little note, and uh, we'll be talking about some of this in. Uh, with Johnny Palmer uh, at, after 10 o'clock tonight when we have the ELMS preview. Alexander Orkin and Chris Suku saying, so what's the plan for LMP2 and possibly LMP3 and WEC? We've been chomping for a more in-depth discussion following the chat on the show uh, last week. Um, the, the short answer to that is uh, that there's still some unrest in the ELMS paddock for the obvious reasons. Um WEC, Alex Brundle was good enough to tweet last week and say uh, going 
slowing the cars down by taking off power and uh, going to the low drag aero kit is a much better solution than the tyre model that they were proposing for 2021, which was really edgy um, and edgy even for the pro drivers and for the non-pro drivers, it would have been very difficult to get their head around. I suspect we haven't heard the last of the LMP2 part of that gentleman um, uh, as it stands. And uh, JP will be down in Barcelona this weekend. If you missed the uh, news at the start, he is, of course, our voice of the WEC, ELMS and Michelin Le Mans Cup. And once again, RSL, uh, very pleased to be able to say that we are providing the commentary team for all of the live broadcasts. We'll have it in sound and vision on radio-show.co.uk. And it will be Graham Goodwin who is alongside JP to provide the excellent in-depth analysis that only gooders can. Uh, add Speckertainment if you've got any more to say on that. Coming up to 10 minutes to 9. Tim, are we staying on two wheels or are we moving on? We're going to stay on two wheels because we've only touched the surface. But I would say we probably need to do a special about this uh, LMP2 debate at some point, don't we? I, 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 I sort of don't disagree, but I have a feeling that we could do it and, and within moments it could be out of date. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> As with any because I, I, I don't think I, I I in preparation for our MLMC and ELMS MLMC went out earlier, but there's another chance for you to hear it later on tonight. And the ELMS show, I was reading through some of the clarifications that were being asked for on um, regulations uh, about bronze plus drivers, about who was eligible for championship points, um, about all kinds of about what wheel guns you can use in the pit lane, and um, uh, whether there was a safety aspect of particularly if you're a MLMC trailing um, airlines across a, a, a pit lane where you don't have your own pit, of course, because they're having to share, etc., etc. And basically, the answers. <laughs> are always, always, um, that, that that's the regulations, but we'll ask the committee to look at it. And I think the committee will be looking at it. And I think there's a bit of, there's a bit of player power. There's a bit of uh, team trouble coming if, uh, if they're not careful. Um, do I agree with that? I'm not sure. I think the series makes the regulations and you come and race in it. If you don't like it, go and race somewhere else. It's a bit of an old fashioned look at it from my point of view, I know, but, um, They've got forty odd cars in one of their series, and uh, in fact, both the series got nearly forty cars, or just over forty cars. So, mm. anyway, back to two wheels. Yes, uh, who's been boasting about his size this week, Nick? <laughs> um, I'm fading shared down know. for this bit. I I do not know. Um, I obviously someone who's either boasting about it or lamenting it. Uh, he's uh, a winner of two MotoGP races. Well, if Danilo Petrucci thinks he's too big for the KTM. Yes, correct. So, I uh, thought he's boasting. I think he's more lamenting his size. Possibly. Well, yeah, so you give me the wrong feed there, but I was able to, even then I was able to get underneath your sneaky word, did you see? He says it's <laughs> like uh, riding a Moto3 bike. He is a big lad. He's a chunky monkey. Um, but yes, the, the, but the issue is, of course, with that, I mean... The reason that uh, 
you don't want to be big on a Moto3 bike. It hasn't got enough power to push you along. Uh, with 300 horsepower, or near enough, which the uh, MotoGP bikes produce now, it doesn't matter if you're a bit bigger, because the advantage of being a bit bigger has its own speed ability, but they ability to muscle the machine around. Also, of course, you have more weight to move about. So it's not, it's not a disadvantage if you can get comfortable on a bike, uh, as it would be in the smaller bikes. We just can't force the bulk along. So it's not quite the right thing to do. Maybe, maybe he's just not got a comfortable seating position yet, or riding position. Uh, Mandalika next. Was that a song by Sinead O'Connor? Ooh, Don't know. Yes, I think so. Very good. Uh, it's hosting GP in Indonesia in 2022. Good, that's happening, isn't it? Who thinks it's a really bad idea? Everybody. I don't know, actually. I, I'm not quite sure who's anti-Indonesian at the moment. I mean, obviously, we are in a very big international state of flux, but if we assume things are on, are better by then, I don't know. Why would you not want to... Go? Tell me. I don't know who's anti it. Tell me. Olivier de Schutter. I have no idea who that is. He's served uh, the United Nations. Oh, right. Is it some sort of like... It's in, is it in an area of outstanding natural beauty, or is it, or is it an indigenous people being oppressed? All of the above. The Mandalika Project puts Indonesia's laudable commitments to the Sustainable Development Goals and its underlying human rights obligations to the test. Large-scale tourism development that tramples on human rights is fundamentally incompatible with the concept of sustainable development. The time has passed for racing circuits and massive transnational tourism infrastructure projects that benefit a handful of economic actors rather than the population as a whole. Post-COVID economies should focus on empowering local communities, enhancing their livelihoods and participation in decision-making. We urge the Indonesian government to ensure that the ITDC, respect human rights and the rule of law as well as the AIIB and private businesses not to finance or engage in projects and activities that contribute to human rights violations and abuses don't disagree with any of that though no but I disagree with one of the points he's making yes I don't know how it's I have no idea of the individual socio-economical situation there whether they have you know land grabbed or broken some Indonesian rules the thing is though the influx of a major world championship and all the accompanying people and uh, fans is a massive boost to the economy. The local people will make money out of it. In, um, there was some. I, I remember Eve doing a a, a post-event study about how much WRC took into uh, into Wales in terms of uh, inward investment, and you know how much was spent in Wales on local projects, particularly you know from the hospitality side, which was what Eve was looking after then and it, it's it's sizable um and i mean we've seen people i mean the the issue is not having spectators of course um then there's an there's an issue about what that does we were talking about this about the mom weren't we but i i think there's a balance that has to be made um where if if you are if you are play, only paying lip service to a green agenda and equality um, and egalitarian agenda, then it doesn't matter to you. But if you really believe in it, there's places that you shouldn't be going and there's travel that you don't need to be doing. Uh, you know, Tim? Uh, you mentioned uh, getting hospitality to pro- providers to buy produce locally doesn't always uh, work well. No. Um, no. I remember at a uh, British Grand Prix uh, partaking of some hospitality 
uh, that was provided by an Italian company. And they'd obviously gone to the local supermarket uh, to stock up and uh, had found themselves some Aunt Bessie's frozen Yorkshire puddings, which were, they were serving cold as if they were volivants. Excellent. <laughs> uh, Excellent. Which other two countries uh, have incurred the wrath of the United Nations? What, for the same thing? For the same thing. Uh, well, um, Vietnam, for the circuit that's never got built. No. Um, I don't know. That's, that's, that's a good question. I'm not sure who's annoyed. Who's building stuff that's not Saudi Arabia's built. A lot Saudi of track, Arabia but... is one, yes. And excellent, thank you. China? No. Think further west. Russia. Further west. Much further west. Uh, America. The USA is correct. What's the USA built that's annoyed people? It hasn't built anything that's annoyed people, but uh, they think that uh, uh, there are issues with international sporting events going to Russia and uh, causing racial unrest. Okay. On to Moto2 now, and Mikel Pons is set to make his debut this weekend in Portugal, replacing Simone Corsi and Tommaso Marcon. So, so he's riding well, he's two, bikes. two bikes. Well, no. Corsi, remember, injured his wrist in the first race, and Marcon replaced him for the second race. But Marcon has tested positive for COVID-19 uh, and is therefore unable to travel to oh, Portugal. Dear. Right. Or indeed anywhere. That's <laughs> true, yes. Yes, he, he's stuck in Italy, basically. Uh, having started his career on two wheels at the age of six, uh, Pons, who is from Palma de Mallorca, uh, went on to be a four-time runner-up in Supersport, uh, where he competed from 2016 to 2019. Uh, he's also competed in the World Supersport Championship and is doing Moto E this year. He said, I'm very happy for the opportunity I've been given. The truth is that for me, it's a dream to be able to race in the Moto 2 Championship for this race. I'll put all my effort in and give my best. Mm. And is that it for two wheels? Have you got one? That's it for two story? wheels. I have no more two wheel, two wheeled uh, motorsport news. Um, right. I certainly so have is that got it for no, Nick, then? no MotoGP related. I've just seen someone else is going to make his Moto Two debut. It's just popped up on the wires, and this is Fraser Rogers. What do you know about Fraser Rogers? Nothing. Moto2 expert, a Moto3 expert, of course, is our resident uh, Bostonian. Yes, he probably knows nothing about Fraser Rogers either, uh, who appears oh, to have say that. done no, some uh, appears to have done some British superbikes. Um, he is going to be deputising for Barry Baltus in the NTSRW Racing GP team. Right. Um, last year, Rogers was a podium finisher in the British Superstock Championship. And that's all we've got time for in this hour. We're going to finish it a tad early. We're going to say goodbye to Nick, certainly. Are we? Bye-bye, everybody. Uh, Good luck with the kitchen, mate. I I want updates. (laughs) You never realise how much you you, you use something that's not there. Yeah, but aren't you pleased? But aren't aren't you pleased that you haven't had the TR4A, IRS, uh, installed as some kind of cabinet by accident? You see, it could have happened. It could have done, yes. It's, it was well worth your elbow injury. Uh, <laughs> the other thing to bear in mind is when the kitchen is finished, don't move all the stuff that you moved out of the kitchen and into the garage or into your study back. 
Just move it back as and when you need it, and you'll soon find out that there's a load of stuff in your kitchen that you never use. Not in our kitchen. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff I never use, but that's, that's a different story entirely. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Best of the family. Nick German uh, joining us tonight on Midweek Motorsport, where we have rattled through the first hour. Uh, don't go too far away because we have another 60 minutes of this to come. Uh, and then Johnny Palmer will be back with us for the ELMS season preview. It's all here on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited network. Of- Please report any unattended bags to a member of. Oh, hang on. <clears throat> Wrong script. Is midweek motorsport and still to come? Uh, still, I haven't heard that one for a while. Still to come tonight, we'll have uh, Shea Adam talking a bit of sports car news from uh, the US and further afield. More of your comments, please, uh, on at Spectatainment, getting uh, some absolutely cracking suggestions about where Formula One that could go, and I mean that in the nicest way, uh, but absolutely won't, uh, which is very interesting. Uh, and there's been a suggestion of a game show before the end of Midweight Motorsport tonight. Uh, but next up, we start the second hour with the VCO Victory Lane. That's next on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited network of channels. Time now for our VCO Victory Lane. Last Thursday evening was the first round of the 2021 IMSA iRacing Pro Series presented by SimCraft. We had it in Sound and Vision across the Radio Show Limited network of channels. And it was great to see another 30-plus field of pro drivers, all who've had some link or are racing in right now in full metal IMSA racing couple of new wrinkles for 2021 the gt le mans cars back and looking and sounding great uh, the bmw still very much the favorite but didn't have it all their own way as you will hear but new multi-class racing with lmp2s making up the front of the field and the winner there was australian scott andrew who's done just a fantastic job in both full metal real world racing and in the virtual world quite clearly his skills are transferring very nicely indeed after the race i spoke to scott and pointed out to him that he was making history as the first winner in the imsa pro series on iRacing, driving an lmp2 car in a multi-class field yeah well that that's pretty cool first of all and um yeah i mean it's never easy. Uh, I guess everything just uh, fell into place, and um, you know, I actually, I worked a little bit on the on the setup before um, before I got here with uh, with actually one of my um, old engineers uh, from JDC who uh, worked on the DPI last year, actually, um, when I debuted in that at Sebring. So we come up with something pretty good, and uh, it was reasonably easy to drive, and it turned out to be quick enough. In our SimCraft IMSA Radio Keys to the Race, Scott, we were talking about respect the virtual bumps. But that setup you're talking about, does that have to take account of the virtual bumps and respect those virtual bumps around Sebring? 
Yeah, hundred percent. Actually, uh, that that was one of the biggest things is we were just working on the compliance over the bumps. Um, we uh, found a fair bit that we could uh, work on with the shocks to get it to get over the bumps pretty good and um, not lose too much platform. So, I think in the in the future maybe we go fix that up because um, then some guys maybe like myself might have too much of an advantage because um, we're actually in uh, you know professional sim teams. Uh, a shout out to RHE Roman Grosjean simulator team. I'm um, lucky enough to drive for for his um, esports team. And uh, thanks to our sponsors, uh, Predator Gaming. Scott, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Let's uh, check in with Daniel Morad, second in LMP2. Fantastic run. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I, I, I didn't see you make a mistake, but, you know, at the end, what, 10 seconds back from Scott Andrews. He, he had the setup today, didn't he? Scott himself is a setup. He, he told me he was on baseline. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to uninstall everything if he's on baseline. Um, but no, it's cool. You know, the coolest thing about this series is you get to hang out at home with your buddies all online and, and race virtually. And if it goes wrong, then it's okay. The car can just be reset, right? We had two quick repairs. I actually didn't go off the track once today, which might be a first because I'm known for mowing the lawn. Um, I have a, a landscaping service virtually of course. Um, but no, it was great. Really cool race. Uh, started P3. I didn't have the best um, quality set, I would say. I, I didn't really put a lot of emphasis on it. We all saw how Daytona went and uh, you know how, how important it is for the rear tires. Managed, managed the car, was patient, and, um, and brought it home at the end. You're racing with the Allegra Motorsports name there, but also Moradness Esports. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, I'm still trying to find find the way. I mean, you guys can see it. Esports is growing at an at an uh, exponential rate, and thankfully, I'm involved in it from a very early uh, point. And um, you know, being involved with AMG Mercedes, well, Mercedes AMG Motorsport, um, is something very special for me. It's my first taste at um, doing something with a manufacturer officially. Uh, albeit in the virtual world, but it just goes to show you mm. what these manufacturers are putting in um, on the digital side and, and how much it's growing. The coolest thing is how you can connect with people. And Moradness Esport, I, I want to create some sort of community. You know, Moradness, the brand itself, um, it's a clothing company I started back in 2017 after uh, we won the Rolex 24. It was very community-based. And the Moradness Esports side is going to be a community-based aspect. Um, you know, we, we really want to bring everyone in, uh, include people, build a, a nice community, share our knowledge, and just have fun, ultimately. Uh, and on the other end, I have a partnership with uh, a, uh, an already established team called Satellite Racing. So um, we're going to formally uh, roll it out uh, in the next you know, few weeks, and it'll be called cool. Moradness Satellite E-Stars. And that's going to be a pro-level effort with, uh, you know, uh, split one uh, iRacing and, and other forms of racing as well. Love it, mate. Congrats on second place. I know you would have yeah. rather been one further up, but uh, that was a good effort yeah. to do. See you I'll the keep next working one. on it, though. <laughs> Great hearing you guys. See Cheers, Daniel. Have a good one. Let's uh, head on to our winner in GT Le Mans in the BMW, Philip Eng. Well, that, Philip, was... Uh, was a little bit more fraught than perhaps we had expected. Clearly, you benefited from uh, Robbie running out of fuel there uh, with more than a, a lap to go. Yeah, I'm really sorry for, for Robbie. He drove a fantastic race. And uh, yeah, 
I just kept it cool in the beginning. I tried to save some fuel, save my tires. Um, but uh, yeah, we had a great team in the background. Uh, Elias, my my goat engineer, was was spot on with the strategy, such such as the whole team. So very happy to to be winning the opening race, and thanks to him, sir, and to you guys for for hosting this cool event. Tire life was perhaps not as, as big a, an issue as we thought it might be this week. But front tyres did seem to be going off there in, in the last part of the stint. Was, was that something you had to be careful with early on? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I just tried to save fuel in the beginning of the race, um, tried to keep it cool. I got the slowdown in the, in the very first lap, which was uh, a bit of a setback. But from then on, I, I just tried to, to keep it cool. Um, Bruno and, and Robbie had amazing pace as well, such as... Uh, as Nick um, was a great fight with him uh, around the outside. He's such a hard and, and but very very fair racer. Um, I, I really like racing with him on track and on the on the virtual world. Uh, yeah, I just tried to I just tried to keep it cool, and here I am. Uh, really really cool effort. When you overtook Nick, pretty cool driving from from the pair. He's toughed it out for what two two or three corners there. That looked like a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean especially in IMSA, also in the real life, I must say the racing is so good. And I really enjoy my, my racing in the United States. Um, and it, it's just a mirror to, to, the, to the virtual world. I mean, everybody is racing, not everybody is pushing a lot. But on the other hand, everybody is very fair. And, and that's what racing should all be about. Are you going to be back with us for the next one, Philip? Yes, definitely. I'm, I'm so keen on, on, on being back. Um, I, I, I put in a lot of practice uh, before this event, and I'm sure the practice will only <laughs> become more and more. Um, it's all about practice in, in sim racing and just getting those, those little uh, tricks uh, here and there, um, how much you can use the track without getting an off track. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I will definitely be back. The BMW steamroller continues. Philip Eng, winner in GT Le Mans. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Uh, and finally, I think we can have a word with Nick Tandy on the virtual podium uh, at the end after a cracking battle with a couple of BMW drivers. Do you enjoy that? Yeah, it was like a, a, they were ganging up a bit on me, really, weren't they? When I, when I saw myself in the middle of a, what was it, a bunch of eight BMWs at the start or something like that, then I thought, here we go. And uh, I think there was some team tactics going on on the start, which, you know, fair enough, that's that's racing, but... Yeah, it was good in the end. I didn't quite have the pace. You know, clearly Bruno was, was the quickest out there and uh, he got really unlucky. Philip had probably a little bit of pace on me, but we were there thereabouts and I'm happy to to have a good run and get a Corvette on the podium again. Some cracking battles between you. First of all, you and Philip side by side for two or three corners out at, what, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, it seemed, at one stage. And then the run into Sunset with with Bruno side by side where you held him off uh, one of the lap. I, I, I did say in commentary, you used to go around the outside with your short oval routes. So close, the, the racing, and so respectful. Uh, it gets a bit stressful, I must admit. I've, uh, I've got a real bad pain in my wrists currently from just gripping onto the steering wheel because kind of sim racing is so alien. When you go, um, you go and drive a real car, it's just kind of natural. It's just what, what we do. But uh, driving the sim and, and especially being in a competition, mm. you know, we're, we're all used to, to sim driving and, um, you know, working on car development, this sort of thing. But actually racing and having something on the line at the end of it, it's all a bit different. So it gets a bit stressful at times. And, uh, 
Yeah, I, I don't particularly like it when I lose, but uh, I'm I'm really happy to get get on the podium. It was uh, it was a good race. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Where do we get some of your teammates from Corvette Racing? No, Tommy Tommy Milner the, for this race. Is he going to jump in before the end of this, this uh, three race series? I hope so. Um, I know he couldn't make um, tonight's race, but um, I'm hoping there's going to be. Um, you know, a representative from Corvette because I actually can't make the next round. I'm uh, I'm, I'm otherwise engaged with a bit of testing. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be represented uh, on the grid. You know, it's uh, it's great that the, the CAR is on the iRacing platform. I've obviously done quite a fair bit of work with it uh, since since the back end of last year. And, uh, yeah, it's it's good again that, that IMSA put this, this show on and, and give us all something to do in the off time. Uh, thanks for your time, Nick. Speak to you soon, mate. Well done. Yep, cheers, mate. Nick Tandy talking to us last Thursday, along with the other drivers there in the VCO Victory Circle. Shea Adam still uh, with us. Uh, just remind you that the next race, by the way, is April 22nd, 6.30 Eastern, 11.30 here in the UK. And if you missed any of that, uh, we have got the archive, uh, and it's a uh, sound and vision archive uh, i'm fairly certain and as i say that i'm just checking it i think we've got a a link to that yes we have um that is on imsaradio.com uh, if you missed that it was really good racing uh, and we did have a bit of a comedy moment as well with a suez canal blockage in the entrance to the uh in the pit lane um which caused a few chuckles shit adam is with us scott andrews who who won that race is um he's fairly fairly handy in the real and the virtual world another one of these australian talents hello shit sorry about that you got me now okay yes we have um try that again sorry internet's a bit dodgy no no uh scott andrews uh another uh Stunning looking Australian, st- stunning Australian talent by the look of it. Yeah, he's somebody who's been climbing the IMSA ladders for quite some time now. Somebody that we've seen winning in a lot of different variety of machinery, whether it's the IMSA prototype challenge. He found victory lane twice last year. Uh, he's somebody who's always been quick in Michelin Pilot Cup as well and actually had a full season announced uh, last week joining Riley for the uh, Toyota program alongside Anton Diaz-Pereira. So that's going to be another fun opportunity for Scott. Mm. The, um, a paucity of IMSA news at the moment. It seems, that obviously, we're what still almost a month away, aren't we, to the Mid-Ohio uh, round, which is, is next up. It, it Sometimes you say no news is good news. People just getting on behind the scenes. I know you've still been talking to some of the teams. People have been out there doing other work, catching up on bits and pieces of stuff after a pretty hard opening to the season. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I was actually uh, reading an article that Brian Sellers wrote last week talking about the fact that coaching is a bit of a lifesaver because this period in between Sebring and Mid-Ohio, which is as long as the period between Sebring and Daytona, there's not a whole lot of work when your paychecks come from doing events. So when you can pick up coaching events in between, that's really a blessing in disguise. But yeah, there there hasn't even been a lot of testing from teams going out and running their cars in this off period. It, it's a bit of a doldrum right now. Fortunately, we have other sports car news, although, again, not a massive amount considering we've got the ELMS kicking off this weekend. Our coverage starts on Saturday with 
qualifying and the race for Michelin Le Mans Cup and qualifying and then the race on Sunday for ELMS itself. Um, a couple of things that I picked up on. Nice to see uh, the reigning Le Mans GTE Pro winner returning to Le Mans, although he's going to be in LMP2 this year. with <laughs> uh, It's not a bad seat if you in the red, white and blue of United. That's pretty good for Alex Lynn. Isn't it funny that Alex Lynn is trying to do the inverse of Harry Tignall, who went from winning in LMP2 to winning in GTE Pro, and now you've got Alex Lynn, who's trying to go from winning in GTE Pro to winning in LMP2. So I kind of like the, the symmetry of all this. But Alex Lynn, no stranger to winning in prototypes. Remember that brilliant drive back in 2017 when he joined up with the Taylor brothers to win the Mumble 1 12 hours of Sebring? He's a guy who's very quick in prototypes, and we've seen it from his single-seater background. He's going to fit in very well at United. Quite a lot of Porsche news coming through for the Porsche factory drivers. Uh, Jimmy Bruni's going to jump into the ELMS. I'll let Johnny talk about that after 10 o'clock tonight. Uh, and then stay tuned as uh, you can hear a rerun of the Mission of the Mon Cup preview. Um, Porsche uh, naming their additional drivers for Le Mans. And it appears they're going to jump in for Portimao as well, uh, just to get themselves acclimatised with the team. Two really good additions. <laughs> yeah, um, no real surprise here in who they picked. Fred McAvecki joining with Jimmy Bruni and Richard Leitz. That's going to be a very strong number 91 Porsche as those three. I believe they've now run together for a couple of seasons at least at, at Le Mans. And then Michael Christensen is rejoining the 92 Porsche. That's the one that he has shared with Kevin Estra. It's not only win the world championship, but to win the 24 hours of Le Mans. Remember, Neil Johnny is the full season driver alongside Kevin in that car now. So that's going to be a, a slightly different feeling because that is typically the the trio where Lawrence Vantour joins in there. Hmm. But um, yeah, we, we don't know where Lawrence will run at Le Mans this year if he runs at Le Mans. Yeah, good point. Good point. Um We'll stay with Porsche. Uh, Hub Auto, who've got their Le Mans entry. Uh, they were in GTE Am, possibly buoyed by what WeatherTech did at Sebring uh, <laughs> and the privateer car winning uh, the pro class there, effectively. And they've they've done that in the past as well at Le Mans. Hub Auto switching from GTE Am to the pro class. Yeah, which is a pretty cool thing because on the initial entry list, it just had uh, Liam Griffin listed against that car for the team, which has typically run in Ferraris, if memory serves, a yeah. Taiwanese team. Um, but yes, they, they have run with professional drivers in the past. Uh, I think Tom Blomqvist uh, ran with them at bathurst i want to say a few years ago um so they've they've had success with different manufacturers but yeah the the fact that there are porsches available there is a potential to step up into the top class that might have an easier path to victory dare i say with fewer cars it's pretty enticing i don't blame them at all um let's move away from porsche uh, no Aston Martin Works team, which I know is being mm. mourned significantly by Sarah Rigby and many other fans of the bewinged British mark. Uh, however, good news, a GT arm entry for Paul Dallalana and uh, he's named his drivers as well in the last few days. 
did he did he name them or did somebody else admit who they were because it'd kind of be funny if he went you shall be called augusto and you shall be called marcus yes it is augusto farmers and marcus gorish yes very good very good both farmers has driven an aston before but i don't think he's driven with paul before has he I think you're correct on that. I think he drove an Aston maybe maybe with TF Sport. It yes, definitely yes. was in this series, though. So he, he does have experience. Um, yeah, I can't remember what, what team it would have been. But um, he raced at, oh, gosh. It was one of the races last year in, in the WEC. He raced in an Aston Martin. And I remember thinking it was a bit strange that he was changing uh, manufacturers, but it's a Gustav Arfus. You put him in anything, and he's going to be alarmingly quick. Marcus Gomez, again, one of those drivers, Brazilian, who plug and play, and he is going to be fast. He's traditionally been driving Ferraris, but it, it is a bit disappointing because it's been Darren Turner and Ross Gunn sharing the car with Paul Delalana this last year, and that was a superb sure. lineup for the three of them. But again, Still no Le Mans win, and that's what Paul is looking for. Yeah, I, I would absolutely uh, agree with that. Um, Racing Team Netherlands are going to jump into ALMS for Fritz van Erd and Guido van der Gaard. That's a, a Monza as a one-off, just getting a bit of extra high-speed testing, I suppose. And that goes back to uh, what we're saying about the having to run the uh, low drag kits through the WEC uh, as well this year as uh, not just at uh, Le Mans. Um, and talking about WEC, and uh, this will interest you, I'm sure you've been following this, um, no Glickenhaus at the opening round. Now, we've said that now three different times. They, they never planned really to go to Sebring. They knew they wouldn't be ready. Then that was pushed back to Portimao over Easter weekend. There was a good chance we thought that we might see Jim's cars then. Uh, no, hasn't happened. And uh, they've been doing a lot of testing and now decided that they're not going to go to Spa. It's always been, I think it was disca- described as as a a rolling decision. Um, their second chassis has been completed, by the way. But actually, when you delve into this, this is quite, I think this is quite clever from from them because as soon as they bring that car out and race it, effectively they freeze the development and the homologation, don't they? That is true. Um, and they have been doing a lot of testing and I've, I've seen a lot of um, videos on social media from Pippa Durrani and Ryan Briscoe and Roman Dumont fill in the blank of the drivers taking the cars around um, Monza, yeah. I believe it was. Um, so they have been doing a lot of high speed testing. Maybe they just haven't figured out all the little tricks to it yet. And, and let's face it, if you're going to win one race, you're aiming to win them all. So you don't want to bring the car out and have right. it run okay at the first round, but know that you could have done more for the big one. Yeah, and as I say, I think it's clever. There will undoubtedly people who will be pointing the finger and going, oh, yeah, here we go. We've seen this before. But I I think this is really clever because they've got a decision to make about how they homologated that car um, as to whether they go for top speed, whether they go for a bit more downforce. You've got to be very careful with where the balance lies in that car. I think it's it's very interesting. Very, very interesting at all. And um, clearly that uh, uh, 
that whole project is going along very nicely, based as it is in Europe, of course, with the uh, Italian... Uh, the, the car was designed and built in, in Italy, and it's got a French engine. And so they've taken advantage of being based in Europe to do all of that. Te- over 2,000 kilometres, I think, I've read somewhere uh, recently. Wow. Um uh, we'll come back to some sports car news later on. Great. Um, thank you for copying us all in on this. I'd spec your team. Great, sensible chat about uh, what tracks could take Formula One, which ones uh, we'd love to see them at and we know they couldn't go to. And uh, a spirited but very respectful debate on Twitter at the moment, uh, at spec your team, about circuit changes that have perhaps not been as well received by spectators and particularly photographers uh, in in the past. Well, you could slow the cars down as well, of course. That's the other thing, generally speaking. Um, the reason we do circuit changes is because the cars get quicker and quicker and quicker, particularly in the in the corners. Uh, where would you like to go next, Tim? Uh, some programme news for tomorrow or have you got something else? Uh, well, I can tell you that uh, tomorrow at 9pm, it's another one on the grid. And unfortunately, Krause isn't here to tell us what's on tomorrow's show. He's been very busy, in fairness. It was a cracking one last week. Oh, yeah, they um, spent half of it talking Brad about Hodge. cricket, even though yes. they didn't have the... Um, uh, Tony Shebeki, who of course is the voice of the MCG. Yep. Is it the MCG or the Adelaide Oval? No, it's Melbourne. All right. He's okay. a, he's a Melbourne man. Uh, is he? He's a Melbourne cider or whatever it is. Uh, this week, who have they week, got? Uh, they have David Reynolds. Oh. Uh, oh. The Kelly Grove Racing driver talks all things Supercars 2021, uh, following his move to the Mustang squad. Uh, they also will be answering questions submitted by social media uh, about uh, pretty much anything motorsport related. Yes, and not just Aussie stuff as well. And if you ever need or want to send them something, add Creelsy or hashtag on the grid, um, all one word. Uh, Oh, uh, and by the way, David Reynolds, really good uh, on the Bathurst Six Hours uh, broadcast and uh, on the the GTs as well. Uh, I I I thought he, he did a, a smashing job, uh, as did Hodgie actually on there. It's very funny listening to him talk about racing cars when I'm so used to listening to him talking about cricket. Uh, what else have you got for us, Tim? I've got this. That didn't work, did it? I've got this. Noticias en español. Ole. Por midweek motorsport. But this doesn't work when we've got a fluent Spanish speaker with us. (laughs) Although, obviously, it doesn't speak proper Spanish, only South American Spanish. Yes, and, uh, well, we'll see whether this one is uh, proper Spanish or South American Spanish shortly. All right, okay. What's the headline? <laughs> Antonio Perez es el padre del piloto mexicano de Red Bull, Sergio Chico Perez. I don't think there's much we can do with that. There really um, isn't. No. Basically, what, what we're saying is... It's um, just establishing an, some some general background, really, before an, the story Antonio, gets underway. An, Antonio P- uh, Perez, who plays for the San Diego Padres, 
um, is uh, is in no way related to Chico Perez. You've just made Carol so happy. I know. Antonio Prometio at Través de sus redes sociales regala tres botellas de tequila a los aficionados que logran acerta la posición en la que lograra finalizar el piloto azteca en el Gran Premio Emilia Romana. Well, this is very interesting because despite the fact that, um, as we've established, Antonio is a, a, a baseball player for the Padres, um, he seems also to be an expert. I suppose there's no reason why he shouldn't be. Um, you know, gets a bit of downtime. Uh, he seems to be an expert in um, uh, uh, Aztec history and is suggesting that there the uh, uh, the other American Grand Prix should, in fact, be running around the old Aztec settlements and therefore taking it to a new audience and highlighting the plight of the rainforests. Yeah, but they also mentioned, John, that he gets a little bit too social when he has tequila. I did yes. pick up on that. I... I, I, I I actually wanted to kind of leave that out here because, you know, oh, nowadays that's that's a difficult thing to talk about. But no, no, yes. I know you're absolutely right. What's next, Tim? Dare we ask? Uh, los participantes deberán aceptar el puesto que obtena, obtendrá uh, Checo en la pole position y en la carrera que se disputará en el circuito de Ferrari. Well, it, it, mm. it, it would seem here that in addition to be a baseball player knowing all about the uh, Aztec history, um, that Antonio is uh, also a very keen Formula One fan. And he's offered Checo his lucky pants to try and get him a pole position. And if he does get the pole position, he's offered to buy him either a Porsche Carrera or a Ferrari. It's very generous. Very Las personas que acierten se ganaran una botella de tequila con la marca del piloto mexicano, así lo explicó Antonio, quien es candidato del partido Movimiento Regeneración Nacional para la Administración Pública de Jalisco. Well, certainly the end of that was very interesting and in, in, involved in saying if he can't, where he's wearing his uh, lucky pants if Czechel can't get a pole position. Uh, he, he used a, f- a phrase that was candy something, which I, I would rather not use, frankly. Yeah. Um, but basically saying he's not up to much. And also suggesting that the, um, the Aztec Grand Prix uh, could be run with regenerated energy. And if, if you picked anything else out of that, Shea, by all means, jump in there. Yeah, the the other thing that I noticed was he said he'd be willing to give up his tequila for the qualifying session to try and get Chico ah, on Perez. Yeah. And he said he would actually drink Jalisco sauce in its place. So that's, you know, that's spicy. Yeah, very hot. Very hot indeed. Is there any more? No, that's the end of that story. 
that's probably just as well. Um, it's half past I think you got here. the uh, I got you got the gist the, of it though, didn't you? Got the gist of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a multi, it's a nice multi, look. There's not a lot of news at the moment. Nice multi-sport story. You know, lots of different facets. They're trying to bring more people into Formula One from different places. I I, I like it. I like it. Uh, it's it's half past nine here in the UK. Uh, if you are just joining us, don't forget you'll be able to uh, listen again either downloading. Or listening on demand. You can listen on demand from the website, radio-show.co.uk. And you can subscribe uh, to Midweek Motorsport and it will drop in automatically every week wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're not sure how to do that, just go to the archive page for Midweek Motorsport on the website. And there's a whole load of very pretty little icons on the right-hand side where you can click on it and it basically does it all for you because Tim's clever like that and that's how he's set it up. Uh, where to next? Uh, I'm not going to tell you what's coming up on the SimCast tomorrow because uh, Ben's just sent me uh, uh, some information and I think it's um, potentially very misleading so I'm uh, clarifying that and we will right, talk about back. Porsches. <laughs> right. Actually, what before would you like we do to... that, right. I, I saw a racing car today. Did you? I saw a Formula, By accident? I saw a Formula E car. Right. Where? At uh, the home of the London E-Prix. Ah, oh, right, XL. XL, yes. Mm. Just sitting there in right. the doorway, waiting to be stolen. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's f- you sure you weren't in Miami? It wasn't fully charged, <laughs> so they would have had to push it away. And also, I'm I don't sure. think it will get through the uh, automatic doors. Okay. True enough. Uh, but it reminded me that there were some Formula E races in Rome, sorry, near Rome at the weekend, and one of them was won by uh, John <laughs> Eric Verne, and the other one was Rome won by... Adjacent. Rome adjacent. Uh, Rome bis. Yes. Uh, so I promised we'd talk about Porsches. And uh, did you ever want to see a Porsche in the DTM? Um, Not in the old days, I suppose. I would have quite liked to... Um, if they'd carried on with where they were going, I would like to have seen the Panamera as a DTM car. I think it would have looked oh. it would have looked great. We're starting the GT3 era of yes. DTM, and Gerhard Berger is is making all the right noises about it. He's the man um, who is at the head of the the DTM, and obviously there are a fair number of. GT3 marks available. The fact that you've said that and and put that that way, does that suggest to me that there will be no Porsches in the DTM? That the German oh. mark is not taking uh, speed, part. Speed Monkeys uh, wanted to enter a 911 GT3 R into the DTM this year, uh, mm-hmm. but they uh, encountered an issue, which was. Shay, any ideas? Mm. It couldn't be slowed down enough. <laughs> no, Porsche not, wouldn't not sell issue. them one. Well, obviously Porsche has stopped production of new ones because they're focusing oh, because... on on the uh, new uh, 2023 model, the, uh, which will be the new body shell as well. It's the, the the next the next Porsche race car up from the. Uh, the Cup car, the Super Cup car, um, will be the GT3 car, and that will be the next car with the 992 body shape. Yeah. 
So, yes. So they would have had to have bought a second-hand one. Yep. A second-hand oh, aren't GT3Rs. Thin on the ground. Um, well, cer- certainly 991, the, the, the last version of them. Mm. Yeah, abs- absolutely. So uh, Christian Bracker, who's the man behind Speed Monkeys, uh, said that uh, they entered into negotiations with a seller, only to discover that uh, the seller then sold it to someone else, specifically to uh, Carsten <laughs> Molitor. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, we assumed the uh, car was reserved for us. Um, uh, they already had three people uh, who'd been interested but couldn't pay for it. So I said we'd take the car uh, and uh, we'll work out uh, some contractual details. Uh, but once I'd worked out the contractual details, uh, the car had been sold. Mm. He said... There is a car in the US that's for sale, but that's seven hundred thousand dollars. Oh, wow! For a GT3 car. And <laughs> Porsche was selling them new for how much, John? Uh, in dollars, I you can don't say it know. in euros if you want. I, I think in euros it was about four fifty. It was. It was four hundred and fifty thousand euros. Yeah, depending on the wow. spec. So don't ask me how, how I know. How that. do you convince someone to pay an extra? It's a Porsche, mate. That's what happens. 250,000 on top of that, plus the freight costs from the US. Tim, the, the <laughs> last car that's Porsche out of that, date in two years. The, the last Porsche, right? <laughs> Porsches are never out of date, mate. They just get more expensive um, and more valuable. The last Porsche that I wanted to buy was a GT3 Touring, like the one I had in Australia that they gave me like a puppy and then took it from me. Um, and they were 104, 108 new. And that was two and a bit, two years ago, maybe, let's say. And the cheapest one in the UK that I can find now is 170 grand. That's what happens with, with anything with Porsche and GT on it. Even race cars hold their prices. That's why Porsche Cars Great Britain are prepared to offer you, and wait for this year because this is going to blow your mind. They yeah. are prepared. If you want to go Carrera Cup racing in the UK, you can put a Carrera Cup race car on Porsche Solutions as a lease purchase because the depreciation is so low on them. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's true. Why, why am I not doing this? I know. You're in I the know. wrong country so you, to start with, Shay. But... Well, I, I'm, yeah, I'm, minor details. I'm, uh, detail, uh, shmeetail. Um, season, I, season doesn't I, start till June. And, and they've got another year of 991... Gen 2 cars, um, I think at least one more year. Yes, one more year before um, Mr. Tandy was telling me that a couple of weeks ago, before they changed to 992. So the States getting the 992 first was another big, uh, big Philip for them. Um, it's twice that's happened now. Yes, that's right. Absolutely right, Shea. Absolutely right. Um, now, it shows how, how important the market it is for racing cars as well as for road cars. Sorry, Tim, go ahead. Uh, I don't know for certain, but I suspect there's a very similar reason why uh, Rover Racing, who were also planning to enter a uh, 911 in the DTM, uh, are also not going to enter a 911 in the DTM. But have they not already mm. got 911s that they replaced their BMWs with for the NLS? Uh, different spec, possibly? They're definitely uh, racing their two M6s in the uh, DTM. Uh, uh, Oh, yes, that's right. That's right. They were going to do a split 
manufacturer thing. That's right. Um, that's right. What I don't know is what they're racing in the NLS this year. Some more NLS news in a moment, actually. Um, uh, but more Porsche news first. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Porsche Super Cup. Uh-huh. Mobile Eins? Uh, yes. And uh, two young British drivers will be teaming up to uh, take part. And who's that? That would be Harry King, the reigning uh, Porsche right. uh, Carrera Cup Great Britain champion. And not just champion, mm-hmm. uh, man who dominated the championship, won 12 of the 16 races. And the 2014 Porsche Carrera Cup GB champion, that's Josh Webster. Mm. He's oh, wow. uh, done Super Cup before. He did uh, it in 2017 and 2018 um, and then made a one-off appearance in 2019 as well. Uh, whilst we're on German Championship news, it is the NLS opener. Well, we hope it's it's round two. Uh, Snowy and Bruce Jones on duty for that on RS3. It is on RS3. Yeah, 10.15 on Saturday. 10.15 UK. And we'll have Sound and Vision as well, of course, on that one. And Nicky Team is going to be driving this weekend, Shea. And uh, he's driving an Audi for Phoenix. Yeah, um, I feel like this is not the first time we've seen Nicky in a different German manufacturer. Uh, of course, he's been Aston Martin factory for a long time now. But remember, he was a Carrera Cup champion um, and Ooh. Super Cup champion, I want to say. Back 20, I'm going to take a shot in the dark here, 14 maybe for Nicky. Um, and he was driving in an LMP2 car most recently for a very well-known Audi team. Uh, that would be WRT not very long ago. So Audi, uh, definitely a manufacturer that would have Nikki on their radar and put him in the car at the Nordschleife and see what he can do. Well, Nikki's going to impress, can guarantee that. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to spin back to the, the DTM thing we were talking mm-hmm. about. Um, because Rover Racing does have a Porsche 911 GT3R. Um, it won the 24 Hours of Spa, of course, didn't it? Um, with that, um, um, manufacturers, Porsche and Lamborghini, don't want the back entries. No. And therefore, the costs are going up. Uh, so, Grasa Racing and um, EFR, Emil Fry Racing, um, the two Lambo teams, they're not in there uh, as well. So, we're not going to have the full... It seems then that, that, as you were suggesting, uh, Tim, that not all of the manufacturers want to support or maybe have the wherewithal to support DTM. It's been very highly supported by manufacturers in the past with the old cars. Um, I I just, I, I, I wonder, um, I definitely wonder. Jesse has said, I definitely deli- um, uh, would buy a Panamera GT3 and has done has found a brilliant picture of a GT3 RS Porsche rear-end grafted and front-end grafted on to a Panamera four-door. That's fabulous. I'm retweeting that, Jesse. Thank you. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the big rear wing. That's I'm a touring man, but even so, fantastic. Uh, very, very, uh, very, very impressive. Uh, that... Um, what else have we got? Sorry, I was in the uh, middle of doing some other news there. Let's go back to Porsche then. Okay. And 
Kurt Leimer will make his modern racing debut with Team Parker Racing in the Porsche Sprint Challenge GB, uh, which, unlike the Porsche Carrera Cup GB, which doesn't start till June, this gets underway over the weekend of the 8th and 9th of May. Uh, he's previously competed in historic hill climbing in Switzerland, uh, but makes the switch to circuit racing for 2021. Uh, he has modest ambitions, obviously, uh, but has already taken part in a handful of tests and official ser- sessions, including at Brands Hatch and Thruxton. He said, uh, I've been a fan of motorsport since I was a young boy, and my love of <laughs> classic cars... Ever since I was a young boy. My love of classic cars is instilled by my father and my family in general. We rarely bought a new car, so when I was little, my dad would read Classic Driver magazine to me in bed. Good. That's the way at the start. Um, I brought them to school with me, and my parents were called in by the headmaster and told they had to read normal books instead. Okay. This from Dave Olcock. Am I right in thinking the 992 MMB platform-based Porsche 911 GT3 with over 500 horsepower start shipping this year? And does that mean teams will see the mid-engine 911 racing in GT3 this year or will it be next year due to homologation requirements? The road cars are... Um, the first tranche have been allocated um, and should be getting to their owners, certainly here in the UK, in May. There's a second tranche including I believe the first lot of tourings be still my beating heart uh, later on in the year it's my understanding um, that the race that the GT3R i.e. the GT3 class I know everything's GT3 for Porsche and I have to say that every time but the GT3 class Porsche 911 992 I'm pretty sure Share that like the cup car, that is still traditional engine behind gearbox, isn't it? Isn't that what we've been told, or have I imagined that? I believe you're correct. I'll try to find the email from Tom Moore that has the exact specs on it, but that sounds normal to me. And when yeah. do we? And when do we think those new nine nine two GT threes are, are coming? I, I I don't think we're seeing them this year. Twenty three. No, I think. I think they were 23 was when they were estimated to come. Okay, fine. Um, I, I have a couple of calls to make to Porsche about some bits for 968 and 993. So um, perhaps uh, I can ask somebody there, um, drop Frank Stefan Valliser a, a, a note. Uh, Nikki team raced an LMS Ultra prepared by Apt in 2015, uh, an R8 in the GT Masters, says Sarah Rigby. Thank you, Sarah. Excellent. I knew some collective wisdom. Have you got any more portion news? I or, do. Or do we? Excellent. Uh, what comes to mind when I say Tuthill Porsche? Uh, rallying. Yes. But it's not just rallying, of course. They do no. circuit racing as well, including yes, the, the Nürburgring 24 hours. And they have a new man at the head of their racing team. Who's that? He's a uh, highly experienced 24 hours of Le Mans and DTM driver. Right. He's competed in 17 Nürburgring 24-hour races in a long and varied career. Mm-hmm. And he has years of motorsport knowledge and experience. Uh-huh. And he is Peter Dumbarek. Ah, hmm. and he's a Porsche man as well, because, of course, he's raced Porsche for Falcon. 
Yes. Um, uh, Not I mean, anymore. Uh, no, uh, he's, a, he's, he's, he's a staying as an ambas- ambassador. Yes. yes, he's staying as an ambassador for Falcon Tires. And um, he still wants to race. Um, and uh, I think he still will. Uh, th- there was talk, of course, of the Tuthills doing a classic GT3. Classic Porsche was a GT3 uh, as well, because... There's no reason why you can't, but I thought that was uh, great. Um, who? Are, what other great racing name is making a comeback this weekend? Do you know, Tim? Where? Sure. Um, in, I think that's in GT Masters. I was in Euro GT this weekend, and he's driving something unusual. Oh, don't he's know driving that. KTM. No? No. Han Stuck. Really? Oh, no way. Is he driving with his boys? Uh, No, I don't think he is. But he's doing one of the first races for the new GTX, uh, the GT4 version um, of the KTM. How cool. And he's racing that. uh, Manfred Wolf sent me a, a press release earlier this week. Manfred, if you're listening, thank you very much. Um. Yeah, and it, it's great. This is a really interesting project from KTM. I love those little sports cars. We did commentary on them when we were at Magello, I think it was, for a Creventic round, and we did the um, KTM Crossbow Trophy as well. Um, and they had a development car at Barcelona, Such I think, a when we horizon. were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry? Such yes, a beautiful indeed. Horizon. Yes, um, and uh, I I really like it because it's a bit different, and I like that sort of canopy flip up thing that they do with that car. And they've been working on coaxing more power from the Audi engine. There was a thought that they might go to the um, five cylinder two point five, which I was really looking forward to. That's one of my favourite engines. But anyway, Stucky, Stucky is back um, this weekend. I can now tell you what's happening on the Simcast tomorrow at 8 o'clock. Excellent. The full story <laughs> of uh, or the sto- full story behind how the British GT eSports title was won. Right. Plus Excellent. news about WRC 10. Oh. Excellent. That's Matt and Jordan uh, tomorrow from 8pm here on RS1. I think there's some classic new classic uh, cars in WRC 10, which I'm sure the guys will be very excited about. Uh, when is a rookie not a rookie? When he's Roman Grosjean. When he's Jimmy Johnson. No. Ah, very good. Uh, this is a team called Rookie Racing. Ah, really? <laughs> yes. It's a t- which, it's a rookie team. No, it's a long-standing team in uh, Super GT, which has changed ownership over the uh, winter. It's now owned by Akio Toyoda uh, and is now an in- independent team rather than being a uh, subdivision of Sarumo. But they nice. won the 500 class of uh, the first round of uh, Super GT at Okayama at the weekend with... Kazuya Oshima and Kenta Yamashita behind the wheel. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Ashima did the first part of the race, uh, and uh, Yamashita obviously did the second half of the race. Uh, they said the tyres performed a lot better than uh, they were expecting them to. In the GT300 class, it was uh, the reigning champions uh, uh, Kyoto Fujinami, nearly forgot his Christian name there, and Joe Paulo de Oliveira, who won. Uh, mm-hmm. Fujiyama uh, also said that the tyres handled better than expected. Goodness me. Excellent. Uh, but some sad news from Japan uh, with the death oh, yes. of Haruo Tsuchiya. Born in 1945, he began his career in the 1960s on two wheels before moving to Tomai in 1968, uh, where he worked in the engine department. He formed his own company, uh, Tsuchiya Engineering, in 1971, where he'd take on the roles of engine tuner, engineer, fabricator and mechanic himself, uh, as well as team director. Uh, it fought fiercely with racing project Bando and Mugen in the Japanese Touring Car Championship in the 1980s. The move to the uh, JGTC came in 1996, uh, where in 1998 and 1999 they would take the championship in two consecutive years, winning all but one race across mm. that 24-month period. Uh, he moved to cheer engineering to GT500 in the Super GT Championship in 2000, seek success with a win at Okiyama in 2005, and continued to race in the championship until 2008. After that, he became involved in GT Association's technical department, supporting Japanese motorsport and Super GT. The name returned to Super GT in 2015, with his son Takeshi Tsuchiya as the driver of the new Tsuchiya engineering team. Uh, Takeshi was also the chief engineer with Haruo returning as team director. The father and son duo developed the mother chassis, the new GT300 regulations claimed their first title in 2016 uh, and 10 days after that championship was decided he was diagnosed with cancer. He died on Sunday. Yeah big loss to the sport uh, big loss to the sport and uh, very well thought of uh, by everyone who had to have uh, any sort of dealings uh, with him I got time for a bit of IndyCar news we do because they right. got a new uh, official oil and lubricant partner Shay <laughs> <laughs> yes, but uh, anybody who knows the Yellow Submarine will not be surprised that Pennzoil is now on board officially, correct, Tim? That's correct. It's the first very new and yeah. dynamic multi-year partnership. An expansive <laughs> agreement oh, that includes Pennzoil becoming the sponsor of the Pennzoil Technical Inspection Area. At all 17 mm. NTT IndyCar Series events this season, Pennzoil branding will be placed <laughs> on IndyCar's Technical Inspection Transporter. Of course it will. Listen, <laughs> listen, um, you didn't expect Roger Penske to be standing still for very long, did you, Shea? No, no. And um, I don't know if, if we talked about it last week or if it was even out last week, but it is Scotty McLaughlin driving the Pennzoil machine at the Indy 500 this year. So that's going to be extra special. 
Good point. Sadie Gunzel is the Vice President of Global Commercial Technology at Shell Lubricants and said the extreme stress put on an NTT IndyCar Series engine provides the optimal test bed for modern motor oils like Pennzoil Synthetics. The highly efficient and powerful engine technology used in IndyCar has presented Pennzoil with an opportunity to innovate and prove that our made-from-natural-gas motor oils can make a difference on the track. Where's Roger Penske coming this summer? Oh, I know this. Uh, I know this. Okay, go. Uh, he's going to visit a stately home in the south of England. Uh, and when was the last time he did that? Don't know. Don't know. He's coming because he's being honoured as effectively the featured mark at the Goodwood Festival of Speed, isn't he? Yes, it is oh, a Goodwood cool. Festival of Speed. And uh, Roger Penske will be visiting Goodwood for the first time since, I think, 1963. Wow. That's really cool. Uh, and the head of Ford, I think in the UK, possibly in Europe, is going to be driving some Penske machines up the hill. I think it's going to be phenomenal. Uh, there was some IndyCar testing last week. Who was fastest show? Uh, Jojo? Was it Joseph? It was. Joseph, lucky guess. Well done. I was expecting you to have uh, been all across that. I was for a little bit, and then I stopped paying attention. To be honest. Fair enough. Uh, Jimmy, no. Yeah, it was. Sorry, go ahead, you. It was broadcast, but it was broadcast behind a paywall, so I didn't watch any of it, and I just read the uh, summaries at the end of the day. There was. Uh, it was free um, outside of the US. Yes, I know that's bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> that was the bizarre part of it um I, I watched a bit of it it was quite enjoyable i, I um, see uh, the schedules um in the uk for next weekend for the first race at uh, barber in alabama uh we're going to get uh coverage of free practice for the first time in the uk john are we yes <laughs> now, yeah that, you guys do well that's interesting um because i thought that practice and qualifying was being dropped by the television company in the States. Yes, it's but it was still shown on, uh, on ah, the app. I see. On the Peacock. Okay. Right, okay, I see. So, right, well, any time that anything's been on the app before, the, uh, the coverage hasn't been great, uh, unfortunately. Because it has a different graphic set. It has a different graphic set. It's mm. optimised for viewing on a screen um, rather than a television. It has a lot going on around it so that you actually only have about a third of your TV screen that has pictures of cars on it. And um, there's times in between the qualifying sessions when they just stop talking. (laughs) And say, we'll be back in a minute. And it's like, what, where have you gone? You you know. Ah, sorry. Sam Pierce has said, Stucky's not in a GT4, but one of the new GT2 KTMs. Uh, decent p- uh, quantities of Audi power should make him feel right at home. Um, I, I got close to it. I knew they would, they'd been messing about with the Audi engine. Of course, the new GT2, um, Stefan Mattel's new GT2 series, that's what Stucky's driving. That's nice for that series. Uh, going back going back to IndyCar, yes. though, um um, so I'll, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what it looks and sounds like. Um, 
they haven't potentially covered themselves in glory. Last year, I remember um, Eve had to drop a message to somebody that we know in the broadcaster here in the UK, no names, no pack drill, to tell them that they had cut it off before the qualifying was finished um, to go to a recorded programme. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see. I enjoy... I, I think IndyCar qualifying is unnecessarily complicated and long. Um, but I understand why they do it complicated. That I don't think it's too long. I, I think you could just go straight to the fast six. I don't think you need to do the fast 12 and then the fast six. You could just yes, do the groups agreed. and take the top three or the top four out of each and then just go have at it. Now, who wants to buy a racetrack? Uh, not Lawrence Stroll. No, he's selling one. He's had yeah, it for 21 exactly. years and now now uh, he wants to move on. And where's this at, Shep? Mont-Tremblant. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. There's opportunity. I didn't realise he'd had it for that long. So why is he getting rid of it, uh, Tim? I don't know. Why did you ask him? Okay. Okay. <laughs> How much does he want for it? Well, let me tell you a little bit more Boy, about it. It's a 304-acre site, which also includes the Jim yeah. Russell Racing School. That's 13 million yeah. square feet, for those of you who don't understand what an acre is. Uh, <laughs> the uh, track is 2.6 miles. That's 4.27 kilometres long. Uh, it's fully operational. Uh, but it does have residential development potential. Mm. No. See, now that's worrying, isn't it? When you heard the story that we were covering a couple of weeks ago about Sandown in Australia, which, um, you know, I, I watched the supercars at not a month ago, and then basically straight after that event, it appears it's going to be sold off for redevelopment. The track um, is, no. the track is uh, 12.19 metres wide and has 15 corners. The pit lane has right. recently re, uh, been rebuilt with several enhancements to comply with FIA safety regulations and there's an improved medical facility there. It's a lovely oh. circuit. I've never been there. It I'd is. love to go. <gasps> I... You've never been? No, of course not. IMSA's oh. never raced there. I've watched it when uh. IndyCar's been there. Um, I've Searched out videos of old sports car races there, but I've never been. Oh, it's fantastic. You have until and tomorrow. And the little village that's right there. Tomorrow? Oh. Tomorrow well, is listen, closing date for bids. I've, I've, I've got about 50 quid in my pocket that I've had in for a year now. So, I can obviously, I can throw that in because I've never... Yeah, never that, sp- that'll work. Yeah. Look, Lawrence doesn't really need the money, does he? No. Let's be honest. The trouble is someone uh, He probably just wants to you. see it go to a good home. Yeah. <laughs> And I could make a lovely home there. I really exactly. could. I really could. Shay, thanks for being with us tonight. Best to your mum and dad. Uh, whilst you're, you're back in the uh, the Homestead Parentis. Um, and uh, have a super weekend, whatever you do. Oh, there was one other story. Earl Bamber. Another Porsche story? No, because he's been picked up to go and do the Bathurst 1000. Ah. As a second driver. Um and I, I just had that in the back of my mind when we talked about um, Nicky Team uh, moving over. Uh, Shea, thanks for being with us. All the best. And Tim, thank you. Nick was on earlier. 
uh, and thanks to our VCO Vic, uh, uh, Victory Lane respondents earlier on interviewees earlier on the responsible adult was uh, Eve Hewitt as ever and uh, Johnny is standing by as we'll run through the runners and riders for the ELMS which starts this weekend live on RS1 and in sound and vision here on www.radio-show.co.uk Good night This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.